Um, God's Word teaches us in Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time and a season for everything. Time and a season. And I want to encourage you to kind of shake it off, bear with me. There's good stuff here, good stuff that we're coming up into. Although change is a part of our everyday lives. I mean, think about some of the changes that these students are going back into. Um, Huge changes. We're all going through changes in life, but, you know, when they walk back into that classroom, completely different than what it used to be, you know? And even though we know change is a part of our everyday lives, almost all of us resist it so hard. (laughs) Change is not easy, right? Change is just not easy at all. Um, Leaving behind what is familiar and consistent is a challenge to do. However, if you think about it, you wouldn't have the things you have in your life right now had you not changed in a season. Some of you wouldn't have your spouses right now had you not ditched that loser, right? I hear some amens on that one, right? (laughs) Some of you wouldn't have the friends that you had had you not changed jobs, you know, or or moved to cities, you know. If, If we hadn't moved churches when the Lord was leading us to, because there's really no logical reason to do it, we wouldn't be here with you all. We wouldn't have met some of you guys that we just so love and adore and just love living life together with, you know. Change can bring good things. And if the Lord's leading us into change, then we ought to embrace it and rejoice in it, but we don't. We're just stubborn. We, we don't like things to change. Um, you know, our last kiddo, Becky mentioned, she's moving on here. It's hard to believe. She went from head start here at, in the church, her graduation, you know, up through. And we're going into seventh grade. So we've got no more kiddos in elementary school. No more PTO or party days, you know, and all those things that they like to do that was so much fun. Um, as she, Bethany just found out over at the high school, that means all these rec pay-to-play leagues where I, I send my registration and you play, they're gone. You got to try out now, and, and there's a possibility you're going to get rejected. There's only so many in the Heritage Conference on that team, 50 girls trying for it. It's a good probability you're not going to make it. Praise God she did, you know, so that's exciting, but um, it opens up this whole new world with all these new changes, and there's a lot of changes for our family, you know, that we're going through too. Um, new, you know, not only that, but for our kids, when you go to high school, that means you're also merging with two other elementary schools. You've got this whole onslaught of new students you're going to be going on to, to school with. Uh, it's high school. It's a new environment, new teachers, new staff, new everything. Like everything's new. You went from being top dog in the school to you're the little kindergartner now that everybody laughs at in the hallway. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of changes. But the, the point is, if we don't take risks in life, if we don't allow change to happen, if we don't embrace change in our lives, then we're going to miss out on everything that life has to offer. You know, um, change is hard, and a lot of times we do it kicking and screaming. But um, if we try to keep things the same, we're just going to find ourselves fighting a losing lifelong battle. You can be a stick in the mud and try not to change, but eventually everything's going to change around you anyways. Change is going to happen one way or another. Um, So I want to encourage us to kind of learn from the wisdom of that great animated Native American woman named Pocahontas. Disney had her sing this line. You can't step in the same river twice because the water's always changing, always flowing. And I know it may not be biblical, but it's the way God created it, right? That's true. Every time you step in that river, it's not the same river. Something changed. And if God's created world, take a look around us, is always changing. Every single day you wake up and something changed out there. How much more is it for us in our spiritual lives? Our spiritual lives, things ought to be changing because you can't stop it. And over and over and over in in God's word, he says that he's doing a new thing. 
He tells us to sing a new song. He, he gives us new revelation. God always wants to do something new. He's just exciting like that. We don't like that. <laughs> you know, we need to get a little bit more like him, that he always wants to do something new. Jesus, we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? He is constant. He is unchanging. Or so we, we kind of think. You know, he is unchanging. Um, but take, for example, the fact that he is always healer. He is unchanging in that way. He is always our healer. But look through the Gospels at how Jesus healed. He rarely did it the same way twice. He did it differently. Almost every single time that he miraculously healed somebody, it happened differently. Every single time that the Israelites went into battle, almost every time they had to do it differently to win the battle. God is constant and unchanging, but the way that God works is always new and fresh. You cannot rely on the methods and the graces of yesterday because today is a new day with new challenges and new troubles. Those won't work anymore. They're old, they're still, and they're moldy. I, like, for God to give us this example, his example, if, if in case we're missing it, that this is the way God operates, manna. Don't hang on to manna more than a day. And on the Sabbath, don't hang on to it, you know. He gives you just what you need, when you need it, for your need. We can't rely on methods and things, you know, that, that we had yesterday. God's always looking to do something new. Um, in our spiritual lives, trying to keep things the same, what that leads us to is man-made religion. You go through this class and this class and this class, and then you've arrived somewhere, you know? At tradition, you do human rules, you go through human rituals, and Jesus was always bucking them and fighting them. Even though God gave them the, the, the feasts and festivals and everything, Jesus is like, you're missing it. Not only that, in the Old Testament, God is like, I despise your offer. In your festivals, because you, when you come to me, you do it out of religion. Your heart is far from me. You miss the point. God wants us to do things with a new, fresh, uh, you know, anointing all the time, so that our hearts are always fresh toward Him. That we're always just in love with Him and just can't wait to to, to get together with Him and to learn, you know, something new, some new revelation, or to see God do some new thing. Um, what this leads to, if we try to stay unchanged and try to do things the way that we've always done things. It leads to religion, and what religion leads to is you missing out on God. The Pharisees and Sadducees and elders and teachers of the law, they held on to their man-made traditions and even the traditions that God gave them. And because they hung on to those, when God was looking at them in the flesh— they didn't recognize him. They called him a demon. They called him a glutton. They called him a drunkard. They called him a sinner. When God was standing in the flesh in front of them, they didn't recognize him. And that's what can happen in the church. We can move, miss out on a move of the Spirit, and we can even label it as something demonic because we're trying to just keep things the same way that we always kept them. You know, one of our third core values that we haven't talked a whole lot about is being Spirit-led. And that means we're not clinging to programs or methods or anything. What we're going to do in the church is what the Lord is leading us to do. We're going to do what the Spirit is calling us to do because that's the only place where we can find success. The only place where we can be successful is when we are teaming up with God, cooperating with him. Jesus said that the, the only reason that he was so successful in life is simply because he did what he saw the Father doing. Active, present tense. Not, I did what God taught me to do. He said, I did what the Father was showing me to do. Now, if God in the flesh, if Jesus has to remain filled with the Spirit and, and aware of what the Heavenly Father is doing here and now to be successful. How much more do we need 
And in fact, Jesus knew we needed that so much. He said, here's a gift for you. Holy Spirit, follow his lead. He's better than having me here with you in the flesh. He's going to guide you and lead you and teach you and, uh, and, and take you to everything that you need to, to do. And so if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Acts 18. We're going to go through Acts 18. And I'm going to breeze it along here so that we don't all get too hungry, you know, and crumbly. Um, Acts 18. We're going to see just how God leads us by the Holy Spirit through change, through times and seasons of change. Because if we're not able to discern the season and the time that we're in, and if we're not able to discern when it's time to leave that time or season, we're going to miss out on what God is doing in our lives. And I don't want any of us to miss out on anything that God has for us. That's how I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That was my prayer. And I started speaking in tongues and everything. You know, we don't want to miss out on any good thing that God has for us. We want to be in the season that he's in. We want to be in the timing that he's in. We want to be right there with him and see him move. And so uh, we're going to be following um, the missionary journeys of the first apostles. An apostle, I, I missed this on my test, by the way. It's one cent. That's what it means. Now when I think of a, uh, the word apostle, I think of a penny because that's it, you know. <laughs> one cent. That means you're per- one person being sent out. And to a degree, all of us have an apostolic ministry, if you want to sound really good. I, I knew a person I used to work with, that was one of her titles on her personal, you know, business card that she had. She was an apostle. And I'm like, what is that, you know, back in the day before I really dug into these things, you know. An apostle literally just means someone being sent. And we all have an apostolic ministry. You're all sent somewhere to reach someone. But we're going to see how if just one person throughout these journeys— chose to be a stick in the mud and not to change when God said to change, we would see how crippling that would have been to the move of the Spirit, to, to, to the, the mighty miracles of God, how detrimental it would have been to what God wanted to do. And so we just kind of keep that in mind as we read through this. Um, we're, we're following their journeys, um, and I'm going to be skipping over quite a bit here together. But we're going to see it's only when we work together that we're able to achieve, as we talked about this morning— Um, representing Christ to the world when we're able to reach our full potential. I can never reach my full potential on my own. It always requires other people's giftings and talents and abilities as well. We always need each other. It is the way we were created. Um, And if you want to talk about changes, look at the life of Saul to Paul. You know, from, from persecuting the church, wanting to, literally he oversaw the first martyr, Stephen being stoned to death. He oversaw it and proved it. And he was on his way to destroy the church when he met Jesus face to face and everything changed for him. Um, This was a Jew of Jews. And yet his true calling and anointing was to reach the Gentiles. The people that he wouldn't even talk to. They were the scum of the earth. They were so unholy. They, they They didn't deserve the time of day. And then God called him to reach out to those people. To live life with them. To tell them about him. It's just amazing the, the change that happened. Um, because our God is constant and unchanging, he himself, but he is ever changing and redeeming and transforming his creation. And that includes you and I. If we're the same as we were last week, then something's not right. We need to get in the word. We need to get in the presence of God. We need to allow him to always be changing us and teaching us and showing us things and transforming us. Uh, that's the life, that's the spirit-led life of a believer is, is embracing the change that God wants to do in our lives through the person of the Holy Spirit within us. And so as we read through this account, I want you to kind of take note personally how each person's life is changed by either receiving ministry 
or literally physically God moves them in some way. Um, and note how they were moved by, by the Spirit's lead, or sometimes they were forced to do it through adversity. Sometimes it wasn't through willingness that it happened, but they were forced through change. But regardless of the circumstances, we're going to learn how God always had ordained it, how God allowed it. He is a sovereign God. Nothing happens to you without his permission. Take a look at the book of Job if you doubt that, how it started, right? God allows it to happen no matter what. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 18, verse 1. And it says, after this, and you've got to read on your own for time's sake. Go back through Acts, you know, and, and learn what Paul was talking about up to that point. But after this happened, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. I bet they made some good spaghetti. I don't know. I just have to guess. I mean, they were, they were citizens of Rome. And Claudius ordered all Jews to leave Rome. So there's a religious persecution right there. They were forced away from their home, you know, because Claudius rose up in, in, in civil power and drove all Jews out of his area. Um, and it's cool if you look into extra biblical texts about that happening, the history of, you know, that kind of persecution. But anyways, it says, um, so Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. And so we see here, Paul left Athens because God led him to. He was following the Holy Spirit. Priscilla and Aquila, they left Rome by the force of persecution. But God used both to orchestrate them meeting at just the right place and at just the right time. They were both tent makers by trade. That's what they did for a living. You know, they came together and he used them in a mighty way. He brought them together and he arranged that meeting more for them just to become friends and to work together. God had plans through that friendship to plant an entire church in Corinth through that simple little following of God's lead. God did all of these things as they simply followed his lead through these little changes, leaving behind familiar people and familiar places. Priscilla and Aquila probably left family behind. This had to be painful for them. But because they allowed that change to happen, God did a new thing that they would have never planned on their own. God had a bigger plan than they had. And they didn't see that big plan. They were completely unaware of it. But God knew. So can we trust God with our lives that much? He has a big plan for your life. And he may be forcing you into change that you don't want to have happen. And you don't see why it's happening. And you don't want it to happen. But it's happening. So trust that God has something big through that, right? And so um, it says in verse 4, Every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And I'm going to skip to verse 18 for now. And it says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then, once again, he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria. That He went this time accompanied with Priscilla and Aquila. But before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Chinchetria because of a vow that he had taken. Now, we don't really know what this vow is. Some people believe it's, it was the ending of a Nazarite vow, that he was taking the Nazarene vow. That may have been the case. I always viewed it as one of those, like, you know, gotcha ministry moves of, hey, if we get 50 new salvations, I'm going to cut my hair. I'm going bald, right? You know, it could have been the first time that that kind of thing happened, but that's probably my own imagination more than biblical reality. But in verse 19, it says that they arrived in Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to spend more time with them, 
That's pretty good news, right? God led you to some place and they want to hear more about the gospel. What did Paul do? He left. (laughs) He declined when they asked him to spend more time there and he moved on. But as he left, he promised, I'll come back if it's God's will. And then he set sail away from Ephesus. Now, these are such simple statements, but think about this man's life on the move constantly. He's building these deep relationships and then God moves him on. And then he builds new relationships and he meets new people and then boom, God moves him on. It's the life of an apostle, someone who's constantly being sent. It's similar to like a missionary today. They're being sent to reach people, to plant churches and to do those works. And he doesn't stay in one place very long. In fact, the longest time that he stayed in a place was when he was imprisoned. He had no choice but to stay there. But think about that. You know, it's, it's, it'd be such a difficult decision when he had to leave and part ways. And it had to be heartbreaking so often in his life. But he trusted God, right, through those changes, believing that God was going to do something big. Um, and in fact, that, that name should ring a bell for us about these towns. These towns, there were letters written to them because a church was planted as a result of him being there. And so Paul followed the Spirit wherever the Spirit would lead. Natural logic would have been for Paul to stay there in Ephesus and to continue to teach them and to continue to build that church. I mean, things were going well. Things were going great. There's no reason for him to leave. The people loved him. They wanted him there. But God led him elsewhere. And it had to be difficult and it had to be challenging, you know. Um, and we'll, we'll, but we'll soon see what God is up to. We have the privilege of looking back on history. In hindsight, it's always twenty twenty. So verse 22, it says, When Paul landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem, he greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch. And after spending much time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And why was God doing this, taking Paul everywhere and not letting him stay in Ephesus where he longed to be and the people want him to be there? It's because God knew something that he didn't. Paul was a, de- a devout Jew and he was an awesome apostle. However, God planned to bring another Jew along to the people in Ephesus, and had Paul not left, the Jews probably wouldn't have embraced him, and they would have missed out on something huge. They would have missed out on this ministry that this other guy was bringing along. And also, if Priscilla and Aquila, if they hadn't stayed in Ephesus when Paul left them, they would have missed, this other uh, person that God was bringing in would have missed out as well. And so this happened. As Paul left... Apollos arrived, and it's in verse uh, 24 here. Uh, Oh, we didn't get there yet. Yeah, verse 24. So so he says about how Paul's traveling all around, and then it says, meanwhile, so you get this backflash in verse 24, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with fervor and taught about Jesus accurately though he only knew about the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home, and they explained to him the way of God more adequately. Now you see, Apollos was teaching what he had learned. And isn't that all that we can teach? All I can teach you is what I've learned about already. I can't teach you about something I don't know. And if I try to be kind of foolish, right? He was accurately and truthfully and passionately and effectively teaching about Jesus and about being baptized in water, right? That was the baptism of John. 
God's purpose in leaving Priscilla and Aquila behind and parting ways with Paul is because God knew that this guy was going to come along who was amazing and awesome and teaching accurately, but there was something he didn't know about. And uh, we're going to soon learn that it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he hadn't learned about yet. He just didn't know anything about it. And so they stayed and they invited him into their home and they taught him all about it. And again, what Apollos was teaching, it wasn't wrong by any means, and it was very effective, leading people to Christ and to salvation, but there was a more adequate way. There was something that they were missing out on. And so as, what's awesome is, as we minister together, we learn together. We grow together. There's things you know that I don't know. There's things you've lived through that I've never lived through, and vice versa. There's things I know that you don't know. And as we minister together and serve together and grow together and learn together, we're better together. We need each other, and that's why God left Priscilla and Aquila behind. That's why he moved Paul out and brought Apollos in. There were things that that church in Corinth needed, and there were times and seasons when they needed this, and then it came to an end. And then they needed that, and then it came to an end. And every healthy church should have those seasons when things come and things go. When, just as you follow the lead of the Spirit, you know, so that we are whole and mature and complete and lacking nothing. So that we continue to fulfill uh, our full potential in Christ. And so the believers in Ephesus, they had lost Paul against their will. But Apollos was now feeling the lead to leave there as well. They lost one great man. Now Apollos is like, I, I think I am out of here. And so in verse 27, it says, When Apollos went to Achaia, the brothers and the sisters encouraged him. This time, they didn't plead with him to stay. They're like, all right, we see what God does here. And this is pretty cool. We don't want to get in the way of it. And so they wrote letters to uh, the disciples in Achaia to welcome Apollos. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by the grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. It was a, it, he was into the study we call apologetics. He was able to defend the, the truth about uh, how Jesus was the Messiah to these Jewish people, and many believed as a result. So we go into Acts 19. When Apollos was at Corinth, and so he moved on once again, um, and that name might ring a bell too. You ever hear about the church in Corinth, the Corinthian church, right? We have a couple of letters from them. Um, and we often associate Paul with planning the church and the growth in Corinth. However, as we're going to read from that second letter of Cor to uh, Corinth, which we call 1 Corinthians, um, we're going to read a little bit about that. Because we're going to learn that had Apollos not left Ephesus, he would have missed out on leading many to Christ in Corinth and planting a church here. Um, in that second letter, we read about how Paul planted the church, Apollos watered the church, but God made them grow. He had a time and a purpose and a season for each one's ministry. One had to come in for a season and leave for a season. So the other could come in for a season, and then they left for a season, and someone else came in for a season. It's just uh, a healthy ebb and flow of church life. And it says here that when Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So in just a few verses, do you see this big circle that was made? Paul left Ephesus, went all throughout the region. Apollos came in. He left and went to, I'm sorry, is things happening behind me? Yeah. Sorry. I didn't even realize what was happening. It's crazy. Um, anyways, uh, yeah. <laughs> Then while Paul is traveling, he ends up back in Ephesus. 
Remember, he left them and he said, if it's God's will, I'll be back. Well, apparently it was God's will because he came back. He made a comeback. I just love how God works, full circle. For those of you who don't know my story, uh, I didn't grow up in the church, at least not that I can remember. I was a baby when I went, you know. Uh, didn't grow up in the church, didn't have a church life, you know, uh, in my early years. But when I was a teenager, someone invited me for a big candy bar, by the way, to a harvest party at this little house in Dayton. It was New Hope Assembly of God, you know. And long story short, I got saved there, uh, went you know, got my biblical education and everything, um, served in another church that, that church doesn't exist anymore. It got bought by Harvest Community Church. Um, you know, and then God brought full circle then back here. It's it just, it's crazy small world, you know? That's what God does. And I love how he works that way. Man, if, if, if you just keep on somebody trying to get them saved, you might be missing it. You might need to back off and let someone else come in. You know, Paul needs to leave. Apollos needs to come in. He needs to wonder what you've taught so that that person is led to Christ and is able to grow in their faith. You know, sometimes there's a time and a season when we need to back off and to let God, let God bring somebody else in, let God do something else. It's a healthy thing in, in any of our lives. And so Paul started a good work. Apollos built on that good work. Now, Paul was coming back to build on Apollos' work, right? It's like, you see, it's like a sandwich, you know? Paul came in, Apollos came in. Now Paul comes back in. And they just keep building and building. It's awesome. And you need that. You know, think about a house. You need someone to lay the footers and then the foundation and then the walls and, you know, and then the footers for the floor. You know, you, you need, you need different people to come in for different times and seasons. If you got a concrete worker that's trying to do all the construction work and lay shingles, you know, unless it's a really multi-talented guy like the guys we got in the church, you're going to be lacking, right? You might have a leaky roof. The thing might be leaning a little bit, you know. You got to let each one do their work and do their best at what they do so that the building is whole and complete. And it's no different in a church. We need each one in a time and in a season to do what they're called to do, to be who they're called to be. And there's a time and a season for that. And it's good and it builds. And then we all build on each other and then we can all stand back and look at the awesome thing that not I did, not you did, what God did as we work together. There's a picture of healthy church life. And so here's what happened. So Paul did a work in Ephesus and then Apollos came. And remember we talked a little bit about Apollos, how he, you know, he taught accurately about Jesus, but he was missing something. When Paul comes back, it says, there he, Paul, found some disciples. These were the people in Ephesus who had believed as a result of Apollos' ministry. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, well, what baptism did you receive? They said, John's baptism. And if you remember in the last chapter, that was the baptism that Apollos was going around and teaching people about. Water baptism, which is, we still do today, right? Uh, it's an outward sign of an inward change that had taken place. So they replied that it was John's baptism. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one who is coming after him, that is in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They all started speaking in tongues and prophesying. And they, there were about 12 men there in all. And so do you see what God did here? And how exciting that is? You've got one person coming in to teach one thing, another person coming in to teach the other thing, and then God brings Paul back in to complete that teaching and that transformation and to take them even further. You know, that's just what God does. He's just that good. And had either Paul 
or Apollos or Priscilla or Aquila or other, you know, uh, people we're going to read about here, if any one of them had said, you know what, I kind of like it here. I'm going to hang out here for a while. Think about the train wreck that could have taken place. If any one of them had stayed longer than they were supposed to stay, or if any one of them chose, I ain't going there because I'm happy here. If any one of them had resisted the change that, first of all, Priscilla and Aquila were forced into by persecution, if they had resisted that change, they probably would have died. They never would have been able to teach Apollos about the baptism. Um, you know, if, if Paul had decided he's just going to destroy the church, Think about all the churches that would never have been planted. If, if Apollos had decided, I like teaching and preaching here in this synagogue, and I'm just going to call this place my home. If he had never moved on, think, just think about that. And think about your own life. How many opportunities have we maybe missed out on just because we were comfortable and we liked it where we were at and we didn't want to change? Why do I want to punish myself and change something when I'm happy with it, right? You know, I, I like my, my, bacon, uh, my uh, bacon cheeseburger four for four Wendy's, you know? I don't want to try some of the Baconator. I just don't. I, I want to stick, I want to order the same thing the same way. I'm just that kind of person. I'm a, I'm a rigid person. I like structure. I like to know what's happening when, and when things change, I get a little freaked out, okay? That's my personality type. Some of y'all are just, you just go with the flow, like, and you don't change unless change happens to you, you know? And that's okay. Guess what? We need every single personality type in the church to be a healthy church, right? We need all those perspectives. Our leadership team, they are not yes men. They will speak their opinion. That's one of the first things I changed when I came on board here, right? I want to hear what people have to say. I value you, and I know you're hearing from the Holy Spirit. So let's come together with all of our differences and, and truly effectively lead new hope into its future so we don't miss out as a whole, right? It's a good, it's a healthy thing. And so it says in verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Now, do you notice something about Paul? And I swear this is where I'm ending on this point. Paul had a method. He went into the synagogue and he taught and preached. Why? Paul was a Jew. Those synagogues were Jewish. They were people that he could relate to. He knew them well. They saw things pretty much the same. He just wanted to teach them about Jesus. That was the only change. The only change in, in, in their understanding is that Jesus was the Messiah. That's the only thing that they had different, you know? They were comfortable people. It was a comfortable atmosphere. You know, it'd be like me coming in and, and preaching in another Assembly of God church instead of me going and preaching at the Catholic church, you know? It's not that one's right or wrong. It's just we do things differently, you know? It's, it's, it's a matter of fit. Paul liked his method, and he was sticking to it. Now, what did I share earlier? Did Jesus get into methods to where he always did the same thing the same way? No. Do you think he's going to let Paul get away with this? No, not at all. In fact, God wants to do something new. So in verse 9, it says, But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe, and they started publicly maligning the teachings of Paul. And so Paul left them. He took the disciples with him, and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, Paul loved the synagogue, and he loved his Jewish brothers and sisters. He loved to go there, to seek after God, to pray, to learn, to grow, and to minister together. But God had bigger plans than just reaching that Jewish population in the synagogue. Bigger plans— so Jesus forced Paul out of his comfort zone and out where he needed to be. The gospel message was not just for the Jews, 
Paul was anointed to take the gospel message out to the Gentiles, out into the world so that everybody could hear it. Sometimes it takes us hitting a brick wall before we embrace change, right? Sometimes that's what it takes. And that's what it took for Paul uh, several different times. He didn't embrace change as easily as we like to think so. It took hitting a brick wall and facing opposition before we change. But it shouldn't have to take that. We who are a spirit-filled people ought to realize before I'm like, okay, this is the way I'm going to do it. And it's like, okay, well, this is the way I'm going to do it. Okay, well, this is the way I'm going to do it. And then what ends up happening? You get hurt, your family gets hurt, your friends get hurt, but what do you do? You know, just over and over and over again. Why? It's not working! Do something different for the love of God, right? Come on! But don't we do that all the time? It reminds me of, you saw that video going earlier, Nate had a toy like this when he was little. This truck that just, it moved forward, and that's all it knew how to do. And when it hit something, it would back up and move a little. And then it would go forward, and it would hit something. And, you know, that's what we look like in life so often. Like, you're getting boxed in by life instead of being led by the Spirit of God through life. He doesn't want you to hurt that badly. He wants you to, to, to be able to change a little more easily. But that's what it took for Paul here. And I'm going to skip back here for a few seconds to Acts chapter 18, uh, verse 5. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that Hall of Tyrannus, that was a public school. It was a place where just education was happening publicly. And the time that he would teach and preach, it was during their rest and lunch time. They don't have like a 30-minute lunch the way that we have in our, you know, traditional United States workplaces. You know, they had a few hours of downtime uh, throughout the course of that. And so while he was on his lunch break from tent making from his employer, he was there teaching at this place. And, and then other people would come in as well. And as a result, because it was a public square, a public forum, you know, people were here hearing the gospel, um, everybody in Asia, the whole province of Asia, heard the good news about Jesus just because Paul was willing to leave his comfort zone and to be himself just in a different building. To be himself, but around different people. To be himself, but at a different place at a different time. That's all it took. God wasn't asking Paul to change who he was. He just wanted him to be him somewhere else, right? It was that simple. And we see this happen earlier too in Acts 18, verse 5 through 11 that we skipped earlier. It says, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, this is while they're still in Ephesus teaching, it says, Paul devoted himself exclusively then. He went from being a tent maker with Priscilla and Aquila to full-time ministry. He transitioned to exclusively preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. It says, but, buts are big in the Bible, right? But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. And God probably like, well, yeah, that's who I told you to reach. You just figured that one out, buddy. In verse 7, then Paul left the synagogue and he went. Does anybody have their Bibles with them? Where did he go? Next door. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that your breakthrough is next door? But you are too stubborn. You're just like, well, this is where I want to be. And this is where I want to go. And this is what I've always known. And you're just abusing yourself. And you're missing it. Paul went next door. Christmas, the synagogue leader, his entire household, what did they do when Paul preached the same message that he kept doing that to in the synagogue? They believed. 
They believed what he said. He had been beating his head against the wall, talking to these Jews in the synagogue. And who is Crispus? The leader of the synagogue. Like, he was that close to breakthrough because he got mad and frustrated and threw a hissy fit like us guys do from time to time. He went next door, right? Throw your wrench and walk away from it. He went next door. Not only did the synagogue leader believe, his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul also believed and were baptized. Revival broke out because Paul made a little change in his ministry. Because he stepped outside the walls of his church, quote-unquote, the synagogue, and went out over there to someone's house, a church was planted in Corinth. Many in Corinthians believed and were, were baptized as a result. And it, and it says here in verse 9, Then one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, and he said, Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. I'm with you. And no one is going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of the Lord. If there is a time and a season for everything, then we would be wise to, to try to discern the time and the season that the Lord has us in. Your breakthrough could be just as close as walking next door. You could be that stinking close, but still missing it. So listen to what the Lord is teaching you. Hear what the Spirit is speaking to you. And, and get in alignment with whatever that is. Whatever that is, make that change. For Paul, the synagogue was a comfortable place with comfortable people who he liked and he loved. God had to harden their hearts before he moved next door and, and revival broke out in the town of Corinth. Think about this. What did it take for the Israelites, for God's people in the wilderness, or in Egypt rather? It took God rising up somebody who could care less about them and making their lives miserable before they would move on into God's promised land. Why does it take that for us all the time? If we're spirit-filled believers, why does it take hardship and adversity and force? Why does God have to force us to move on because he has good things for us, right? He has promises for us. He has breakthrough for us. He has the, the fulfillment of his word for us. Why don't we just follow him? Spirit-filled believers, we should be the most flexible, change-embracing people on the face of the earth. But that has not been my experience dealing with myself and other, you know, spirit-filled believers, right? We like the way we've always done things. We don't like things to change. It's uncomfortable. That's why I got new glasses for the messages today. I, we weren't having a guest speaker. That was an intentional change-up. I always had the same frame of glasses for years and years and years and years. And this year, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna change it up, you know? So whatever. It is what it is. But we ought to embrace change because our breakthrough might be that close. We may be spending our time getting frustrated and abused while all the while breakthrough is just next door. It's just that close. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're so close. You are hearing the voice of God. You're not wrong in what you're hearing, but you just got to go next door. You're doing the right thing. You're being the right person, but you're just not doing it in the right timing or in the right place. You just need to walk next door, right? This literally was the case for him. That same message that was opposed and was embraced the very next door. Sometimes we just need to walk, close that door and walk into the next room. Sometimes you just need to close that door in your life. Stop peeking through it. Stop looking and seeing, okay, well, am, am I still allowed to come in here in case I don't like it here? Sometimes you need to close that door and just smash that handle off because that is yesterday. A and God has you living today. 
Okay, you can't stop time. You can't stop change. You gotta keep moving with him or you're gonna miss out. You're gonna end up in frustration instead of joy. Our breakthrough may be that close. However, are we willing to change? Are we willing to embrace it? It's not easy and it's not fun and none of us like it, but are we going to do it? Are we going to try something new? Try something different? Are we going to be willing to walk away from what is comfortable and familiar and trust that God is leading us into something even better? He has something even better for you than where you've been. What new friendships are we missing out on? What new experiences are we lacking in? Uh, What miracles are not taking place? All because we're unwilling to do something differently. Think about it. I don't know. I'm not in, encouraging this, but has anybody ever seen the movie Billy Madison? Maybe not by a raise of hands. It is awkward to see a 30-year-old sitting in a straight class. I mean, come on. Have you not learned what you need to learn already and move on, right? It's just not right. But how many of us do that spiritually? We like reading through that book. We don't want to go into that other book. We don't want to go to that other teaching. We just want to do things the way we've always done things, you know, because that's just comfortable for us. And as a result, we end up stagnant in our spiritual growth and in our spiritual life. You're dying. You're not living. If we're not changing and constantly improving, then you're dying. There's no in-between middle ground in our spiritual life. You're growing or you're dying. It's blessing or curse, death or life. It's one or the other. There's no standing still in life. You can't step in that same river twice, right? You just can't do it. So we celebrate our graduation. We walk away from our sixth grade class in that school and all of our classmates. And we celebrate it. We rejoice for that awesome time that we have. You know, there's nothing wrong with it, but we're going to move on to a new school, to a new grade, new teachers, new everything. We're going to embrace that change. As scary and uncomfortable and uncertain as it is, we're just going to move on in life because we trust God. We trust that he has something for us in that uncertain place. And so we're going to willingly and boldly and confidently go forward. That's why Joshua had to be told by God to be strong and to be courageous and not to fear. Because they were going in to an unknown land with unknown enemies and unknown territories. But guess what? That land held unknown blessings. I mean, sure, there were big enemies there, but look at the, the, the fruit and abundance that it held for them. Reward requires risk. And risk requires change. It's just the way life is. It is the way that God has created and orchestrated our existence. You've got to change something up. You've got to take some risks. And you've got to allow yourself the grace to screw it up. Allow yourself the grace to take a left when you should have taken a right. Your God is big enough and bold enough and able enough to forgive you and to put you right back where you're supposed to be. There's no mistake that you can make that is not forgivable and redeemable to our God. He is able to put you right where you're supposed to be. I I think God is more blessed by our willingness to step out in what we believe is obedience and faith and make mistakes. 
because you did something. You trusted him. You, you, you were listening to him. And even if you heard wrong, it's okay. He'll forgive you and move you forward, right? Sometimes we just need that reassurance. It's scary. It's uncertain. But get out there. There is a reward awaiting you. Jesus is our rewarder. And he's awaiting us there. Who knows what you might be missing out on just because you're not willing to change and to try something new. God's doing a new thing. And that's where he's calling you from. If he's calling you into it, he will protect you and he will sustain you through it. Where he's guiding you, he's going to meet you. And who knows what the new ministry and new experiences and new provisions await for you when you take that next step. Change is a normal part of a spirit-filled life. So don't fear it. Embrace it. Amen. All right, I'm going to, uh, we're not going to go with the ending song here, although I know y'all love it, like rattle, you know, it's good stuff, but we're just going to believe that. So let's just close in prayer. So Jesus, first of all, we ask you to forgive us when we miss it. Forgive us for trying to keep things the same and for missing out on what you want to do in my life. Jesus, help me to trust you. Lord, this morning I put my whole life into your hands and I give you permission to change me. Whatever needs to change, Lord, I am tired, I am weary, I am frustrated. I can't keep banging my head against this wall. So Lord, it's yours. Lord, I'm listening for your voice. Fill me with your spirit and guide me. I need you. I need you in my life. I need to hear your voice. I need to sense your presence. I need to know that you are with me and for me. And I thank you that as I am willing to embrace change, that Lord, you've got big things waiting for me. Lord, your breakthrough. I am, I'm walking through that next door because I am ready for it, Lord. We thank you for your breakthrough, for your anointing. We thank you for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you for this adventure that you're calling us into as we embrace change and see your hand at work, knowing that you are for us. Lord, help us to see those around us who need your hope. Forgive our stubbornness for not reaching out to them, Lord. But right now, we just give you permission to set up those divine appointments like you did with Paul and Apollos and, uh, and Timothy and uh, Priscilla and Aquila, Lord. Let my life be like one of theirs. Willing to go when you say to go, stay when you say to stay, move when you say to move. Willing to just obey you, Lord. And I'm just excited for what you're going to do through that willingness to obey in your name. Amen. Amen.